All right, let's, um, let's get started tonight with, guess what, a word of prayer. How about that? I think that's appropriate. Um, Father God, we come before you tonight, and um, we want to hear from you. We want to engage with your word, and uh, we want to understand more completely this idea, this topic of prayer. Would you lead and guide us in our understanding of you, uh, Lord God, in our dependency upon you, in our ability to follow the lead of your son and to follow the, the lead of your spirit and the pattern of living of your son, the example of your son? Would you just totally envelop us? Would you, would you open our eyes in fresh ways and allow us to see your word, Lord God, um, like we've never seen it before? And would you just increase us in the area of prayer? Um, this is our earnest request in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so tonight, uh, one of the, um, so our second night of prayer week, we wanted to offer just kind of a brief teaching on the topic of prayer. And uh, you may have seen it listed on the, uh, the rubric, not the rubric, but the outline of, uh, of events this week as uh, a, a workshop on, on dependent children. If that language sounds kind of awkward, Dependent children is how we have grown to express this need for believers to constantly grow in the area of prayer. Uh, I'm deeply convicted by this, uh, by this call of Scripture that we would be people who pray without ceasing. We'll explore passages like that, as well as a, a couple of other passages that show us how uh, prominent uh, people in the faith uh, model the discipline of prayer. Now, prayer is obviously not a word or a topic that is exclusive to the Christian faith. Uh, almost everywhere you go, you can hear people with, with virtually no kind of connectivity to what their faith might be or what book they may read or what God they may believe in. We hear people just generally talk about praying. Let's think about some of these common secular or cultural cliches. If there happens to be a, uh, a loss or something of that nature, or a tragedy in the life of a person around us, maybe in your office or amongst family members. There'll be cards signed in an office that says, our thoughts and prayers are with you, or you are in our thoughts and prayers. I've even heard people go so far as to say, our thoughts and prayers are toward you, like we're sending them that way, like it's something that we can kind of launch or dispatch. Uh, you'll hear uh, people talk about prayer very generically in a way that almost just sounds like a, a, uh, a, a kind of religious form of simply wishing for the best, right? Uh, oh, we'll be praying for you in that. And you can hear it in a person's tone. And I'm not talking about believers, but, but maybe they are. But, but just universally, human beings have worked this idea of prayer into their vocabulary. And you can tell by the way, just the context of both body language and in the moments, what people think about prayer or how they think it actually works or what they believe that it's for, right? Um, some, again, just kind of a subtle pat on the back, a well wish, maybe something like, oh, Godspeed, be with you. It's, you know, it's, it's just, there's just very interesting ways uh, that prayer, like uh, when a person sneezes and you hear someone says Gesundheit, that's actually German for like, God bless you. Right? So, I mean, just prayer is just very much in the common vernacular of human communication. And, uh, but I believe that it is not just this common um, accent on human communication where we're just wishfully thinking with a religious edge and hoping that God kind of comes through. I believe that the Bible teaches us about prayer in a way that has some real body to it, that has some real substance. And, um, and so tonight, my major idea is that dependent children, those of us that are growing in dependency on God, should have prayer lives that are growing in multiple dimensions. Um, um, dependent children, people of prayer, should have lives, prayer lives, that are growing in multiple dimensions. And I'm going to define four of these ways that I believe that our prayer lives should be growing. One, I believe they should be growing in consistency. They should be growing in consistency. You'll see a, a diagram on the screen. They should become more consistent. We should grow in confidence. Our prayer lives should grow in confidence. Our prayer lives should grow to become more comprehensive. I'll explain all of this later. They should become more comprehensive. This is all biblically 
built or based. And also our prayers should also grow in their communal nature. They should grow in a sense of community. They should grow in a sense of community. Now, these are not the only ways that our prayers are, or our lives, our prayer lives should grow, but I believe that there's evidence in scripture to, to suggest that we'd be on a good trajectory if our prayer lives were growing in at least these four ways. Now, remember, I started out by saying that dependent children's prayer lives should be growing in this way. Let's just be honest. Um, as we mature, nothing about us desires to become more dependent. Uh, in the earlier days of our lives, we want to become less dependent on parents, less dependent on any and everything that we can. When we grow into our working years, we're striving, if we're diligent, to become less dependent upon a job for our survival. Uh, once we retire, we don't want to be totally dependent on, um, uh, for our, our, our well-being. We don't want to be dependent on just one source or one platform. There is nothing about us that loves or enjoys or aspires for greater dependency except for the Christian life. The Christian life, there's a piece of us. So think about this. Everything about you and I in every other category in which we live is striving for independence. We want to start our own businesses. We want to be independently wealthy. We want to be independent. I mean, from the day that we come into this world, what is one of the first uh, um, acts of uh, a business for a doctor when we exit the room? To cut the cord, to grow in independence, right? So there is just that it, it is just it just courses through our being to try our best to be more independent. But yet, in relationship with God, we are called into deeper dependence. There are so many other ideas about the Christian life that are, that are counterintuitive or even countercultural um, to the larger narrative of what the rest of life seems to be like. But uh, God calls us into a life of deeper dependency. And one of the pressure points, if you will, or one of the places where God invites us into that is through the exercise of prayer. Let's take a look at a passage of scripture that you've heard a couple of different times uh, throughout the, the course of our time together. So this will be no surprise, but we're gonna really uh, walk through this text slowly and hopefully uh, learn some things about the nature of prayer. In Philippians chapter one, verses, 13, or verses three through 14, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer, pay attention to these things, of mine for you, making all of my prayer with joy because of my partnership uh, in the gospel from the day, because of your partnership in the gospel from the, from the first day until now. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the end of, or at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, and you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Uh, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless uh, for the day of Christ, that um, you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that uh, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become more confident in the Lord in, by my imprisonment as much and much more bold to speak the word without fear. Um, some years ago, uh, I mean, many years ago, I think I was about 27. So man, that's a little over 20 years ago. Um, I was a late starter, a late starter when it came to the game of golf. And uh, I'd gone out to a work golf tournament and uh, a man who I had been sharing the, the gospel with, or at that point we were, it was more of an apologetics conversation. He was an agnostic and uh, I was not, obviously, just kind of what I am today. And uh, we would spend uh, lots of time together just kind of talking about various anomalies uh, from the Bible or different points of disagreement uh, that we had. And we discussed them in a very friendly way. And then 
Um, he asked me to marry him, not like to be his, you know, bride, but he asked me to conduct his wedding, and then he and his wife eventually uh, both came to faith, and so I was, uh, it was awesome to, to see that happen. But in the meantime, uh, as Bill and I's relationship grew, we went to play golf uh, together one day, and we were both uh, over six feet tall, and we were both left-handed, which made for a very unique combination of custom need for custom uh, golf clubs. And Bill, one day while we were out playing, after we had got done and we were going to the car, gave me his golf clubs. I was blown away because I was so terrible at the game. And he was like, well, you look like you, you want to play. And so I want to give you these. He's like, I'm, I'm just kind of reaching the end of my affections for the game. I'd love for you to just take these clubs and just promise me you'll take care of them. And I mean, these weren't trash clubs. These, if you know anything about the game, I, don't, I won't call the brand names. They were Callaways. I will. Um, but it was, I mean, they were really good clubs. So these were not throwaways. And I was, and I began to do research on how valuable these clubs were and how much the driver costs and the, uh, the putting wedge or the, no, not sorry, the putter and the wedges. I mean, I just looked at the whole bag and the irons. I was like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe that I was given these clubs. And um, what was interesting is that I was a complete novice, didn't know what I was doing, but because this gift of incredible value that I was gradually discovering just how valuable it was. I, I, knew that it was. I knew that it was a good thing when they were first given to me, but I just didn't know how good until I began to really do some more research. And so out of my uh, appreciation for this gift, I began going to the driving range, I mean, three to four times a week. I mean, hitting 150, you know, balls, you know, each session. I mean, just doing my best to just whatever I knew to do I wanted to grow in my consistency, but my desire to grow in consistency was compelled by the fact that this was an extremely precious gift that someone had given me. I share that story because I want us to also grow to think about prayer like that. Let's just be honest. As a believer, you hear words like prayer is a discipline. Prayer is a habit. I agree that both of those are true. Sometimes it feels like that. But if you're not careful, prayer can lose its sense of value because we cease to view it as the beautiful and incredible gift that it is. Can you imagine that the God of the universe has decided to make it possible for his people to approach him and speak to him individually and personally? You can actually talk to God without going through me. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to both talk to or to hear from God. It's a unique relationship that is as unique as is your footprint, where God wants to hear from you, his child. And he also wants to talk to you, his child. And he also wants to answer your prayers. According to Jesus, God actually wants to, he wants to answer and he wants to talk. He wants to hear from you. This is an incredible gift. I believe that more consistency in our prayer life begins with a deep conviction that this is a gift and not just a Christian obligation. This isn't just the stuff that Christians do because we are told that we're obligated to. No, this is like a precious set of golf clubs that you never saw coming. And guess what else happens as you grow in consistency in prayer? As you use prayer or as you pray and as you think about it, as you practice prayer and you think about it, it begins to increase in its value because you grow to understand how prayer works. When I got this initial set of clubs, of course I had seen golf on television. Of course I had been to golf tournaments. Of course, I had seen what the clubs looked like in the hands of many other people who knew what they were doing. I had a, a very um, a surface level appreciation for what each one of the clubs do, but I had no what, what each one of the clubs did, but I had no idea what the numbers on the bottom corresponded to. I had no idea that the, the various lengths also came with uh, a, a, a various a, a varieties of, of pitches and angles, which were designed to to, to do something else to the ball, and they were to be used in very unique situations. This isn't about golf. I promise this is about prayer. I promise. Well, when you grow in your prayer life in consistency, you make similar discoveries. Oh, that's what supplication is. Oh, this, what, this is what petitions are. 
Oh, this is, this is why Jesus prays this way. Oh, this is why Paul says that. Ah, I see what David is doing in Psalm 51. So the more consistent we grow in our prayer lives, we also make greater discoveries of the great value that has been built into this set of clubs that God gave us, for lack of a better word. Does that make sense? Hey, Amen. It makes so much more sense if you play golf, but if you don't, I think you get the idea. Have you ever heard or seen someone else pray, and you were like, man, I wish I could pray like that? You ever seen that? And it, 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 it's not a silly thing to say, you, but you wonder, what are you saying? Are you saying you want to be able to speak to God like them? Are you looking at how they sound? Or are you thinking about how they strung together this beautiful liturgical thing? When you think about hearing someone else pray and you see it, it's like, okay, is it because you saw the outcomes of, of their life or the outcomes of the prayer? What is it that causes us to hear someone else pray and then say, man, I wish I could pray like that or I wish I could be more consistent? It's the same appeal as when we, we see someone being really good at golf. I don't know what it takes or what it requires, but man, if I were to play the game, I wish I could do it that way. I don't think these are, are bad things. There's something about prayer that we wish we could all be better at. We wish we all had better batting averages or, or, or better utilization or whatever the case may be. And I think prayer and growing in um, effectiveness in prayer is crucial. But more, but just as important as growing in effectiveness is also growing in, in consistency and also in the underlying biblical convictions of prayer. Reason being is that uh, I think anybody out here who's honest with themselves will know that um, there are people who have prayed earnestly for and about something, and it didn't come to fruition, and it uh, short-circuited their trust in God. You ever met that person? Have you ever been that person? You don't have to raise a hand or even say amen. But have you ever been the person that you prayed deeply and earnestly? It's like, man, I want to believe that this prayer thing actually works. But God, you appear to have let me down. And when prayer, the outcome of prayer doesn't seem to align with what we've requested or how we've petitioned God, we have two opportunities before us, either for our prayer to be our, our, our faith and our convictions to be further shaped by God so that we understand him more fully, or our prayer is short-circuited if we don't consistently press in. Forgive me if I'm overworking the golf analogy, but I can assure you on the first several weeks or even months of being out on the, the driving range, there were times when I felt like a superhero. I felt like I was hitting everything the furthest and the straightest that I ever could. And within a moment, within a second, I felt like I was going to kill someone, that other people needed to clear out, that if you weren't behind me, you should be wearing a helmet. I mean, it was, it, was, it was atrocious. And sometimes I believe that in our prayer lives, we feel, we feel similarly. You ever felt like, uh, man, I just need to apply more effort? That's how it feels in golf sometimes. I just need to give more effort. I need to try harder. And that seems to only exacerbate the problem, and it doesn't solve the issues. Well, I hope that tonight I can help us to become not better golfers, but better prayers. Um, with that in mind, man, I forgot to hit my timer. Just kidding. Um, we, uh, we want to grow in consistency. Why? Well, the biblical conviction for growing in consistency is found right here in verse three, verses three through five. Listen to Paul's words very carefully. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always praying for you uh, for my, for, um, in, in every prayer of mine. You see that? All, all, always, in every prayer, for you all, because of my partnership with you from now until the first day. You see that? You see duration. You see all of these terms that suggest that Paul's prayer life for those people were, was in no way sporadic. It was no way, it, it, was, it was consistent. Do you see the same things? I thank my God in all, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in verse four, it starts off with, for you all at the end of verse four there, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, before we get to the certainty, verses three through five is loaded with consistency, consistency. 
And so here's my big idea, is that our lives will only be as consistent as our realization that we are dependent. If you find yourself not able to be consistent in prayer, when I find myself, I'll try to be a little bit more inclusive, when I find myself lacking in consistency, I must look in the mirror and clearly say, I obviously do not realize how dependent I am in this area. I feel like that I've got this totally under control and that I don't need God. This is what a lack of consistency says to Rod Dewberry. That way you can just kind of share in that conviction and it doesn't feel like I'm pointing fingers. He says, all, always, every, you all, with joy from the first day until now. A consistent prayer life is not one that is occasional. It views every occasion as a reason for prayer. It used continual frequency. Even if I don't feel like I have anything to talk about, I know that I should be talking to God. There is not just verbiage and data and requests being uh, given by Paul. We also see that there is great emotion. He says, in every remembrance of you and always in every prayer, making my prayer with joy. And so there is an emotional component as well as that of duration. Take a look uh, further at the joy that Paul brings into prayer that I believe that we should import into our own prayer lives. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. It is the will of God that we rejoice always and that we pray without ceasing. Sounds like a Herculean task. How does one pray without ceasing? How do you pray without ceasing? Well, it's not magic. Um, it, I believe that if we view every occasion of life as a reason for prayer, as a need for prayer, it'll do that. So, so I, I hope what this passage draws out of us is to, to move us away from this tendency of only praying when we feel like we have an emergency or only praying when our needs have become obvious. But if we just become the kind of people that would pray as, as easily as we breathe. Now, I want you to think about this. We breathe without ceasing. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's out. It's reflexive for us. We don't even think about it, but we recognize that we need to do it. Why? Because we are deeply dependent upon the process. And when we find something that is challenging our ability to breathe, we make it a first priority to remove that from our lives. While we could also adopt a similar approach and practice to praying without ceasing. Think about this in your lives. Uh, our consistency, our consistency in every area of life naturally flows out of priority. Consistently flows out of priority. I look around this room and I'm going to say with relative, relatively high confidence that, um, that you are brushing your teeth without ceasing, that you are bathing without ceasing, that you are eating without ceasing. Does this make sense? Why? Because, because it is a priority. You view it as a life necessity. You view it. And so here is uh, something that I have done when I found myself lacking in consistency in my spiritual life. When I've lacked in prayer or in Bible study, I would attach that area to something that I know that I must do to live. Right? No Bible, no breakfast. Um, before I have a conversation with anyone, have a conversation with God. Uh, before I reach for uh, my phone and check the weather, the news, uh, the most recent updates on my post to see if I got a thumbs up or, or, or a giggly face or whatever, the appropriate emoji is something that I posted before I check my, my stocks. Just, just whatever has grown to be consistent in my life, I will just make it a priority to place my prayer life or my study life, whatever I feel is diminishing in consistency before that. I just uh, hinge the two together. Now, here's what you'll find. We are creatures of consistency. The question is consistent about what? 
You may be saying, well, no, Pastor Rod, I'm not consistent. I'm so lazy. I don't consistently work out. I don't consistently tidy up my place. I don't consistently change my oil. Guess what? You do something consistently. There is something in our lives, because usually when there is an interruption in consistency, something else has occupied the space. And we've just become consistent in that other thing. And so if you can just locate the pockets of consistency, where, regardless of where they are, and say, Lord, I'm going to put prayer before this. In other words, I'm going to follow what the scriptures say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm just going to make you first. I'm going to fight to make you first, and I'm going to fight to make you more consistent in that area. So dependent children should grow, have parallel lives that are growing in four ways, growing in consistency and also growing in confidence, growing in confidence. Look at this. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring uh, it to completion at the day of Christ. Where does confidence come from? Think about that for a moment. Don't you just kind of soak in that question. Where does confidence come from? Where does confidence come from? Um, I remember... um, I remember when my son was just learning to drive. He was, well, he was beyond, beyond learning. Or was he learning? I don't know where he was. It, that's, it's been a, been a couple of years, but I'll never forget uh, getting in the car with him. Oh, no, he was, uh, um, he was already driving by himself, but he said to me, he says, man, every time you get in the car with me, my palms get so sweaty. Just automatically, he just loses confidence. And I, and I, I had a conversation with him, and I was like, man, I want you to understand something. Uh, you are my son. Uh, this is my car. Uh, it is my gas. I pay the insurance. Um, I took you to get your driver's license. I taught you how to drive. Of all the people that would make you nervous, it shouldn't be me. Like, I know you think that you're going to have difficulty living up to my driving standards, but I want you to understand that there is no one on the roads who has more of a vested interest in you doing this well than me. There's no one on the planet that is more interested in you not wrecking this car than me. There's no one that wants you to be more safe. It's not even just about the car. It's you. There's no one that wants you to be more safe than me. And, and, and we never had to have this conversation again. So, so even if you do mess up, like you had better believe, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to be messed up together. And so I tell that story because I want us to recognize that confidence in prayer should come from not whether or not we're checking all the boxes and getting it perfectly correct, but who is it that gave us this gift of prayer? And of course, he wants us to be able to use it well. And when he gave it, he was fully aware of all the the misgivings and all the immaturities and all the bad ideas and all the inefficiencies and all the other things that we might think about ourselves when we pray, all of the... Everything that we think about ourselves that reduces our confidence, God knew that when he gave you this opportunity and gift to talk to him. In other words, you shouldn't be, of course, please don't be nervous when you talk to God. And and please don't uh, be trepidatious thinking you're going to mess up and say the wrong thing. Because the Bible says God already knows that we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. Therefore, he gave us the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with, uh, with groans and utterings that are too deep for human words because he knows that we need to be able to communicate. So every time you open up your mouth and your heart toward God, the Holy Spirit is fully engaged and listening like a great sign linguist, right? And he's just totally taking that thing and saying whatever it is that we meant to say or that we're trying to say, and and also doing something else in our heart to help us. And so have great confidence that prayer is not your invention. Have great confidence that you didn't pay for prayer. Christ did. Have great confidence that you don't have to ensure prayer. God does. Have great confidence that you are not the one who has to come up with the perfect patterns of prayer. Christ did. Does that make sense? So so take some of that off of us. We should be growing in our prayer confidence. Now, what does that growth in prayer confidence look like? Well, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 gives us some, some brief insight. Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. These are the opening lines of, the, of what we know as the disciples of the Lord's Prayer. These are powerful and incredibly impactful words. Did you notice, because I'll be honest, sometimes when I'm reading a familiar passage, I kind of, I'm going to sprint on the first three or four verses, and then I kind of slow it down once I get about the middle or the end. But I, I, I chopped out just these two so you could see this. Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray, even if you don't say those words, the mission, the goal is that we ourselves, our individual lives would be a conduit to where whatever the kingdom is doing becomes realized in our locale. This is what prayer is about. How do I become a, a, a space in the space that I occupy, in the things that I'm concerned about, in the things that I'm responsible for? How do I bring the priorities of the kingdom of God into them? That is exactly, that's the opening stanzas. Lord, you are holy. You're, you're the one who sits in heaven. You are our father. Bring your kingdom so that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've already looked at the situation that I'm bringing before you. Would you work through me to make it look like what you want to have happen? So when I, when I make that kind of prayer, my confidence should go up exponentially because I'm asking God to do his will through me. That is the opening premise of prayer. Don't do, Lord, I'm not asking you to do my will through your power. I'm asking you to do your will through me toward this situation. Does that make sense? Now you may say, well, well Pastor Rod, that seems, I don't know, disempowering, if that's a word. Like, I feel like I should be praying to change things. You should. You should. If you, have a, if you have a passion or an angst and God allows you to see something, you're just like, man, I, this situation needs to be changed. You need to trust that the kingdom of God has a will toward that. Trust that. Have that kind of confidence. Have 1,000% confidence that God has a will toward the item you are praying about, the person you're praying about, the situation you're praying about. Have 1,000% confidence that the Father in heaven has a kingdom agenda for that. That's where our confidence comes from. The second element of confidence comes from this, that God wants to use you in some kind of way to bring about the kingdom agenda in that particular area or situation. And so you're literally waiting for marching orders or waiting to see how God wants to flesh that out through you. Prayer is an invite to God's children to translate eternity, the kingdom, into our contemporary world. What he has already done. How, how do we bring that into fruition to what's happening? What he has promised to do. What he has called the church to do and be. What he has called you and I to do and be. And think about it. All of this is uh, bookended, if you will, if anybody has bookends. But all of this is kind of encompassed in the fact that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Every situation that we are encountering throughout the volumes, each individual volume of our lives, as we open up these little encyclopedias, you know, the letter J, it's Joaquin. Oh, look, this is what God wants to do in the letter J, right? Or whatever, you know, wherever you fall on the spectrum, throughout all the years of your life, the, the kingdom of God has an agenda for that exact second. And if you would open that volume up to God, he says, okay, I want to use you to work out my agenda in this way. And so our confidence should come from praying in concert with the scriptures. So now a robust prayer life gains confidence from both biblical conviction that God wants to flesh out his agenda through me in this moment. But, the, but, but confidence also comes from the fact that it's driving my heart and your heart back to the scriptures. Lord, how, what is the kingdom's agenda? Lead me on a, lead me on a discovery concerning this situation and, and, and allow me to, 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 to see new convictions from your word or new truths from your word and help me to pray on those. So at the same time that God is building our confidence in prayer that he hears us, he's also building our confidence in his word because he wants that to be the premise that we pray from. He wants his promises of scripture, his truths, and his character, our knowledge of his character, to be increased with every answered prayer. Does that make sense? 
Amen. Thanks. All right. Good stuff. So here we are, uh, verses 7 through 14. So uh, dependent children's prayer lives should be growing in four ways. The first way was what? Consistency. Thank you, Sandy. That's you? Very good. Uh, the, the second way was what? In confidence. That's right. And the third way, should it should be growing in comprehensiveness. I know that that sounds awkward, but it starts with the letter C, and I love to alliterate, and it helps you to remember. You ready? Verses 7 through 14. Uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, and you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ, and it is my prayer that you, uh, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the Spirit uh, that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, I believe our prayer life should grow in comprehensiveness. You'll notice that there are several different buttons that Paul pressed. Not only did he um, supplicate for them or pray for them, but he also gave thanks for them regularly. And so a prayer life often, um, uh, based on how you're built, how you heard prayers being prayed as a child or on television, maybe if you got saved in front of the television by, you know, via the ministry of like a tele-evangelist, like someone made an initial imprint on all of our lives in how we pray. Or either it was through a really critical moment in our own lives that we came to know the Lord, and that kind of prayer shaped uh, how we pray often. It is our entry ramp. It is our point of entry, meaning some of us are very, um, very uh, uh, strong in the area of thanksgiving others in the area of making petitions and requests. Some of us are very, very, very committed to intercession. Others are very committed to, you know, uh, maybe repentance or forgiveness or a confession and things of that nature, because it was very much the pattern that you saw, or it was the point of entry that you, that, that, that really shaped your faith. And I believe that regardless of your point of entry, the Lord wants us to just continuously to grow in the full scope of what prayer should be. And what is that scope? Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 16 through 19. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here we go. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me that my words uh, may be given, uh, that, uh, that my words may be given to me in, in the opening of my mouth and the boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There are at least four expressions or five expressions of prayer that I, I believe we should grow in, grow more comprehensively. Um, one is thanksgiving. One is supplications. Another is petitions. Another is intercession. And another is confession. I'll read them again more slowly. Thanksgiving supplications, petitions, intercessions, and confession. Now, I get it. There are times when we'll go before God, and we don't necessarily go through the full menu of thanksgiving, supplication, petitions, intercessions, and confession. Have you got them all now? One more time. So even if you don't go through all of them, um, you know, Thanksgiving, we know what that is. There is something about Thanksgiving that reorients the heart. Do you know what the Greek word for prayer is? Anyone? Any takers? The Greek word for prayer? It's prosukomai. Prosukomai. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Pro means toward, and suke means soul. Prosukomai. My soul is toward the Lord. Thank, there's nothing like Thanksgiving, nothing like Thanksgiving, um, nothing other than Thanksgiving, well, nothing like it that I can think of that reorients the soul toward God. It's just a great place to begin. Um, it's just to get that orientation. Now, I get it. Sometimes you've got, uh, 
you walk into class or perhaps uh, some other place and you're told that um, you have a test like within the next like couple of minutes and you don't have a time to like start with Rod's Thanksgiving supplication confession, uh, you know, uh, petition intercession menu, uh, you need to, you got to get right to the, you know, Lord help, you know, whatever bucket that falls under. But having, but, but if you've been praying without ceasing, the heart is already oriented toward God with thanksgiving. And you'll notice that every person that had a real face-to-face, if you want to, not face-to-face, but an up-close and personal encounter with God, um, they were always met with the reality of their sin. Therefore, confession, confession is always an appropriate place to reorient the heart toward God. Because it says, Lord, I'm not ignoring if there's anything in our relationship. Let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, been in a relationship with someone, uh, maybe um, did something that you did not like uh, at all, and um, you kind of gave them that indication, and they came right back to you um, in conversation, pretending as if the issue did not exist without, without addressing the issue? Have you ever had that to happen? And it's kind of like, I can be gracious, and we're going to have a very sterile, data-oriented conversation. I'm not going to you know, push you out of a window or anything, but man, I'm just sitting there wondering, like, are we just going to pretend like that didn't happen yesterday? And I think this is why, as our hearts are being reoriented toward God, where there's thanksgiving, and then there's also, like, well, Lord, I don't even know what the issues, all the issues might be. I may not even be able to put my, my finger on them, but you are holy and I'm not. Therefore, we're going to begin with some confession, too. I'm going to come in here and just, and, and if nothing else, if I can't call the sin by name, at a minimum, I want to at least call my sins by uh, just the, the fact of my existence so that there's nothing on the table. And then, of course, supplication. Making my request known. The Lord wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. Uh, Philippians uh, uh, says it this way, uh, four, uh, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, the Lord is at hand and do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so there it is again, this kind of uh, supplication with thanksgiving, uh, let our request be known to God. And what happens? That orientation, it, it, re it reorients the heart. We experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, man, where did that come from? This is what, this is what prayer does. Prayer does. The reorientation of the heart toward God allows us to experience peace that surpasses all understanding. And so um, we want that. Now, if you think about all of these things, and I'm going to press on them just a few more times for those who are trying to write them down. If you think about Thanksgiving, Supplication, petition, intercession, and confession. Um, in total, they, they, they tell a story. That is, how I pray about God makes a statement of how, excuse me, how I pray to God makes a statement of how I view God. How I pray to God makes a statement of how I view God. In other words, um, uh, if there's certain things that I don't talk to him about, then that means, well, Lord, I don't view you as being necessary to that area. Um, if I don't come before you with thanksgiving, then that means that essentially I don't think that you're worthy of it. If I don't come before you with confession, I don't believe that my sin uh, is that serious before you or that you, you have any real positions on sin. Um, if I don't come to you with intercession, then I'm suggesting that God doesn't care about anybody other than me. If I don't bring my supplications and my petitions, then I don't believe that prayer really works, and it's just wishful thinking with a religious edge. So think about that. Our How we pray to God makes a definitive statement of how I view God. Uh, I, if I think about any life relationship that, um, that beautifully typifies that, it is the late relationship of a child to a parent, and how a child will walk up to a parent and ask for anything. And it is the parent's responsibility to either reshape the child's expectation or to grant it or to give them what they're really desiring because their menu 
is limited. Have you ever noticed that with a child? A child will ask for what they know, but their menu is limited. They don't know all of the options just yet. They just know that what they had the last time was great or awesome. And so we too, before God, we have a limited menu when we go before God to ask for things. And so we should be open to God challenging or updating or reshaping the menu of things that we ask for. Um, final point, our prayers should be growing in communal nature, growing in communal nature. I look at Paul's words there in chapters, uh, verses seven and eight of our primary passage, that is Philippians chapter one. And I notice how he says, uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. And then we go forward and he says, I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me. You go down to verse eight, for God is my witness and how I yearn for you all uh, with the affections of Christ. Uh, isn't that uh, incredible? Just over and over again, he prays for them all. You are, he prays for them with all his heart. He views them as all being partakers and he yearns for them all uh, with the affections of Christ. I don't know if I have the emotional bandwidth to feel that deeply about that broader group of people. And I probably don't. But he says, I yearn for you with the affections of Christ. So he's not dependent on his own emotional bandwidth in order to feel deeply and to intercede greatly. There have been seasons in my life where I recognize clearly that my prayer life was largely marked by just going before God concerning my own interest. And I really got convicted by that. And I was like, Lord, let me begin by prioritizing the interests of others instead. And I'll get to my stuff last. But I want to grow in intercession. I really want to lift up other people. And then I even wanted to really get fancy with it. And let me just start praying for people that I don't like um, or, or enemies or people that I don't think like me. Um, let me pray for them. People that I'm least favorable to pray for, least likely to pray for. If I begin my prayer there, you know, after obviously I'm, I'm thanking God and I'm confessing my sin, if I can really go in and say, Lord, I want to just pray for this person right here. This person really rubs me the wrong way. And man, I just want to just cry out on their behalf. Now, let me say this about intercession. There is a difference in praying for someone and praying about them. Praying for someone is, man, I earnestly have their best interests at heart. Lord, you know, do great things in their life. Allow them to see your will. And then praying about them is, Lord, they need to be fixed. I know you see what a dirty, rotten scoundrel they are. I know that they're not going to get in the kingdom. They're not going to be with us, are they? Uh, fix them, Jesus. Yeah, that's praying about someone. But praying for someone is we yearn earnestly. And so I think this is a great place as we talk about growing in prayer. We can look at all of our lives and say, Lord, man, I want to be a person of greater confidence or consistency, or I want to be greater, uh, 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 pray with greater community, or um, I want to be more comprehensive. I just want to, you know, really not just be so narrow in my prayer life. Would you allow me to experience that? And I believe that's a prayer that you can pray with 1,000% confidence because God wants his children to become all the more dependent. And you know, when God starts answering prayer in our lives and we can make the correlation between, wow, Lord, look at what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in others' lives, what you're doing around me, what you're doing based on the promises of your word, it naturally increases our confidence. And it naturally increases our sense of communion with him and our sense of community with others. It is hard to hate people that you pray earnestly for. So if you've got a relationship, some relationship tension, pray earnestly for that person. Because it's hard to see them and maintain a grudge when you've been on your knees or on your face before the Lord. Or, or as, often as, as often as they enter your mind, you refuse to just replay the thing that brought about the issue but you have been committed to praying earnestly for them. Can you imagine what an awesome thing that would do? Our prayer lives are a pivotal part of our own sanctification and making us even more like the Christ. You remember Jesus? One of his parting prayers, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. For his assailants, for people who, who fully knew what they, they fully knew what they thought they knew, and Jesus says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The highest commendation that Jesus Christ has to offer anyone is pardon of sins. And he offers that to his enemies. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do.
Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an incredible pattern? The way we pray to God is very much a part of the way we view God. The way we pray is also a pivotal part of our own sanctification and becoming more like Christ. You a person, have you ever said to yourself, I wish I was more discerning? I wish I could follow the lead or more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I believe that that grows with a life of consistent prayer because you're communing with God. I close with this little comment and then want to let you out of here. If you've ever, uh, have you ever had a friend that was so close that your, your whole life was marked by a series of inside jokes? I mean, you could be sitting over here and over here and something would happen in the room and both of you would giggle simultaneously because you knew exactly what it meant without saying a word. I believe it is that kind of communion that God wants with us. But how did you and your friend get there? Was it through telepathy? No. Was it through going over a script? All right, so when we're in this environment, remember, laugh three times, giggle frantically whenever we hear the code word. No, you didn't rehearse it. You just have deep communion. So you begin to share the same sense of humor. You can, you can be watching a show together or not even in the same room and something will happen at a pivotal moment in one of your favorite shows and you pick up the phone and here you come. Oh my goodness, did you just see that? Yes, I did. You're not even saying anything. You just automatically know what the other person is talking about. How does that happen? It happens through communion, regularly spending time with each other on a variety of different fronts. And so there become these other unspoken moments where you clearly know what the other person is thinking. I believe God desires that level of connection with his children. And I believe that that connection point occurs through a lifestyle of consistent, confident, comprehensive, and communal prayer. Amen. I'm going to let us out of here. It's 8.06. I thank you all for coming out tonight. I'm going to pray and close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm thankful to you for prayer. Uh, look at here. We're doing it right now. Um, and I ask that uh, you would deliver us from prayer that is merely liturgical and bring us into prayer that is truly communal that we would have deep communion and fellowship with you, that we would be people who would grow in our consistency, that we would pray without ceasing. We would grow in intercession and supplication. We would grow in our familiarity and understanding on how prayer works so that we could come to the throne boldly, oh God. I pray for each and every person in this room, oh God, that you are sparking a new fervor for prayer, that you are at the same time are driving us into your word and giving us new faith fresh faith, bolder faith, so that we would be willing to pray, um, Lord God, beyond our own capacity. We will be able to pray massive prayers, Lord God, that our flesh would be afraid of, but that our faith would be emboldened and strengthened by, and that would bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.